If you have a Bible, I'd love for you to open up with me to Romans chapter 10 this morning. If you want to put a bookmark in John 9, we'll turn there in a little while. But Romans 10 is going to be our opening text that we'll read in just a few moments. Um, Looking forward to getting into God's Word today and hearing from Him as we conclude this series we've been in for the last couple of weeks. Um, But, of course, this week is... Halloween. Uh, Halloween is uh, just in a couple of days on Tuesday. Um, something that goes along with this season are those spooky, mysterious uh, stories that we that always get told this time of year. And I'm not talking about anything devilish before anybody gets, you know, I don't want to, uh, you know, uh, stir anything. But, but I think all of us, everybody loves a good old-fashioned ghost story. And most of us, we know they're lighthearted. They're just kind of things that we tell just to kind of get uh, a rise out of people. But, but we kind of dismiss as being just, just for the storybooks. Uh, but there's something, there's something about the possibility of anything beyond what we can see, beyond plain sight, uh, things that involve things that are beyond our comprehension, our rationale. There's something that causes everybody in the room to lean in. Even when a story's being told that we kind of know is, this, is this really, you know, are they making this up? We all kind of lean into that. There's something in us that even if we want to pretend like we're super serious and buttoned up all the time and we don't, you know, we, we're not anything for, uh, you know, we, we just believe in hard facts and evidence and things that we can see. There's something in all of us that likes to kind of lean in and we like to hear those stories that get told. And, and a, a preacher like me, a preacher like me, which I don't know if there's many like me, but a preacher like me can explain biblically why ghosts are not real and why ghosts aren't a real thing to worry about. But somebody, somebody can talk about how at the grandma's house there's a closet door that always opens by itself and the whole world is convinced right? I mean, hey, I can tell you, hey, the Bible says this, and you should believe that, and don't worry about that, but then someone else can say, hey, there's this thing that happens at my grandma's house, and every time I put it in place, it's always gone, and everybody is like, well, hey, that's, that, 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 that's obvious. You can't, you can't refute that, and, and, and I'm not bitter about that kind of stuff, but that happens a lot in ministry. People say, hey, what's the Bible say about this or that, and, and what's the Bible say about ghosts, and, and, you know, sometimes I tell them, and they walk away, and they say, well, you know what, I already kind of made up my mind that I wanted to believe this, so, you know, I'm, I'm glad I asked you, but I really wasn't going to believe what you told me unless you told me something that I already believed. Isn't that how it works, right? Uh, but, uh, you know, they come back and they say, Pastor, I know the Bible says this, but I swear I saw a headless horseman last night. And thinking, I mean, I, I don't know what to do, right? I'm sure you did. I'm, I'm sure you did. I hope he's okay. Um, but, you know, I'm kind of joking, but there's something, there's something there, isn't there? Uh, whether it should be the case or not, we're often more convinced or more persuaded by things that we can see with our eyes or that we are convinced that we've seen with our eyes. We're often more convinced by things that we see with our own eyes or others have seen with their own eyes than we are by what's been reported as facts or well-documented and well-researched. And maybe it's just the era that we're living in, but I think it's always been this way. You know, we live in a world today where you watch the news and you're thinking, I don't know if I believe that. Let me go check the internet. (laughs) The joke is, is that more reliable? I mean, isn't it true? And we've been, we've been, you know, we've been conditioned to not trust what we are told, right? And I get all that. But sometimes, sometimes, right, we, we, we see something or someone else sees something and we trust them. And we think, well, hey, you know, they've got to be telling the truth. And, and I think as much people, as much as people like me like to grit their teeth, uh, you know, like the, the uh, you know, and, and kind of not, not like that it's this way, um, you know, I, wanna, I want people to believe facts and evidence and, you know, things that are well documented. If the Bible says something, you should believe it. But I get it, right? Within all of us is a sense of wonder. In all our eyes, there's this spark. All of our hearts kind of take joy in the feeling that comes from hearing stories that express the sensational or that describe the impossible. 
And that's why, that's a long-winded, you know, wordy way of saying, that's why I think we love hearing silly ghost stories that can be explained in a very rational way. Well, the reason why that happens is because of this. And we don't really want to know the reason. We just kind of like to wonder. We just kind of like to speculate. We just kind of like to live in a world where, you know, I don't want it to hurt me, but it's kind of neat to think about. Uh, We kind of sort of hope that there is some wild, insane reality that's blended into ours. It's a weird dynamic because if we think about it, uh, if we think it all the way through, we probably don't want that to be a real thing. But then again, something lights up inside of us at the notion that it could be a real thing. It's a weird thing that we deal with. Uh, I can remember sitting on the edge of my seat as a kid hearing about so-called supernatural things that happened near my great-grandmother's house, near the laboratory mill area, and and I've come across people in in school and people through the years that um, grew up in that area, and they have those same stories, and their eyes widen when I tell them what I'd heard, and they heard the same thing, and it's it's kind of a cool thing to go back and forth with, but it's that same sensation, that same wonder and glee that uh, all of us have that comes out a little easier around the holidays, uh, when our minds revert back to when we were kids and our eyes are more open, our hearts are more open to believing. You know, Halloween season makes us prone to believe that those bumps in the night are not just our house settling, but maybe it is something else. Uh, It's just like at Christmas, uh, the the Christmas season, the music and the spirit in the air makes us believe in the miraculous a little bit more. Uh, It makes us believe in the magical. We get lost and the wonder of it all. And maybe you're someone, it doesn't matter what time of year it is. You know, you've got a poster like this in your bedroom. Uh, and, and you, you know, you're, you're always open. You're always open to believing. Oh, you cut the music off too quick. If you are any, any X-Files fans out there, you can cut it off. It, it ruined the moment. It's okay. Any X-Files fans out there? Um, I know I got a few. Mike and, and Jason, y'all, y'all got, and Dana, y'all been to, y'all been to Roswell, right? Y'all, y'all seen the truth. Y'all know the truth. Um, but uh, maybe it's just me, uh, and I don't have a poster like that in my bedroom. Lindsay wouldn't let me let me do that anymore. Um, I just have one in the living room, right? Um, no, uh, just when she's away, it comes on the TV screen. Um, but uh, you know, I've I've talked to people through the years that that, in, and I've learned, and I've I'm I'm, I'm okay with this as a pastor because I know how the mind works. Um, there's a lot uh, about us that we want more than facts and data and evidence. And really that's not what we're looking for most of the time anyway. A lot of the time um, our minds, the human mind is way, way more sensitive and more moved by sentiment and emotion. Now, I think all of us have a point where we can detect foolishness. I mean, we all kind of can, can, can detect when it's just outright fiction and fabrication. We know when something's being embellished. But there's something in us that, that when, when, when a personal observation or account is told, uh, when somebody encounters something or we've encountered something, um, something in us just kind of freezes up. And we start wondering, is that true? Or could it be true? Something in us starts hoping and wanting to believe that it's true. There's a difference in being outright gullible and uh, delusional, obviously. But I think on a basic level, all of us have this sort of hope that runs right up against illusions of grandeur. And that's why when someone tells us something that's wild and spectacular that happened to them or they saw with their own eyes, even if we've got evidence that says that can't happen, there's something in us that wants to believe. Isn't it true? And even when it's unexplainable, our minds can be convinced by the undeniable. 
even when it's unexplainable and there's just no way you can chalk it up as being possible, there's something in us. There's something in us that comes out certain times a year. Maybe you're someone that it's always turned on. But buried in the all, under all of our rational minds is this hope, this idea that I, I know it's unexplainable, but that's undeniable. And how do you reconcile the two? Now, maybe this is true about you. Maybe you've never admitted it. Maybe you didn't know you could admit it. I, I think it's part of all of us and we're selective to when we admit it. So today, we're in our final message, uh, our final message in the series, Reasons to Believe, which is all about helping us understand the reasons we believe so that we might be prepared to share those reasons with others. Simply put, it's about helping us know what stories to tell when it's our time to share. Helping us know what stories to tell when it's time to share. All this is built on the back of 1 Peter 3.15, where Peter, the apostle Peter, the disciple of Jesus, says, in your hearts, honor Christ as the Lord, uh, Christ the Lord is holy, always being prepared to make a defense or give an answer to anyone who asks for a reason for the hope that is in you and do so in a gentle and respectful way. So this verse calls on all of us to be prepared to give an answer when someone asks us, why do you believe that? Or when someone is in a position where they may would be open to hearing about our faith, we have got to be prepared to share that in an effective way. And and all of us know the Great Commission. All of us know the importance of sharing our faith. But a lot of us have never took the time or never been taught or, or, or understood the process of what we are supposed to share. We know that we're supposed to, but we've never really sit down and thought about, hey, what, what story am I supposed to share? So this is all about learning how to effectively, convincingly communicate our faith. So we spent a few weeks talking about the rock-solid foundation the faith is built on. We talked about Jesus, how he's the fulfillment of prophecies that are credible, written down hundreds of years, thousands of years in some cases before he was on earth. We talked about Jesus, how he is the fulfillment of the Jewish faith and how so many things pointed to him. We talked about the church, how it was established and endured through opposition and obstacles, and it's unquestionable how it has changed the world. All these things you can fact check. It's impossible to argue against who Jesus was, what he did, and the fulfillment, uh, uh, the the way he fulfilled so much that came before him and what he set in motion. The enormous impression and impact that his movement has had on the world, it's undeniable. It's inarguable. All of this should be enough to convince anyone to believe or at least take this Christian faith serious. But alas, it doesn't always move the needle, does it? You can go to somebody, you can tell them what the Bible says about Jesus, what history says about the church and how all this stuff is just, uh, again, it's all, it's all recorded. It's all, there's evidence. There's so much truth. You can go to someone and you can explain to them all of this and they don't always respond. In many cases, they don't respond. And that's what brings us to week three. And that's what brings us to Romans chapter 10. So we're going to read verses 1 through 4, jump down verses 9 through 13. These verses are some that you've heard before, uh, especially the latter portion. But I want you to follow along with me and listen to the Apostle Paul, who's writing about his desire to see his brothers and sisters in Israel, his family members, his, his relatives. He's writing about wanting to see them come to the same faith that he has come to. And this is what he says. Brethren, my heart's desire and uh, prayer to God for Israel is that they may be saved. 
For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For they, being ignorant of God's righteousness, seeking to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted to the righteousness of God. For Christ is the end or the fulfillment of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes or trusts. Verse 9. That if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture says, whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction, there is no difference. Jew, Gentile, for the same Lord over all is rich to all who call upon him. Rich in love and mercy and grace. For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. This has got to be one of the most encouraging passages of the whole Bible um, that tells us a right standing with God, a right standing with God, or as we say, salvation is obtained not by our own works, not by what we do, but by faith in Christ and his work on the cross that makes a right standing with God accessible and obtainable to everyone equally and freely. It also makes clear that no matter the bad we've done or the good we've not done, there is a path for us to find God or be found by him through the work of Jesus. No matter the bad we've done or the good we've not done, there is a path for us to find God. Jesus lived the utmost righteous and obedient life that we've never been able to mimic and never will be able to mimic. He died an atoning death to forgive us of our every sin. His sacrifice is enough for us he will, and will always stand as sufficient for us. In him, we are made righteous and can break free from sin, find the ability to live a life for God's glory. The main takeaway is there is no pressure on us to perform. Jesus withstood the pressure of death and rose again, forever creating a pathway between us God. I think most of us know this. If we know these promises personally, uh, we feel a deep sense of gratitude and relief knowing that we have received the favor of God so freely. The Apostle Paul knew what he was doing when he wrote this text because he's about to follow it up with something even more important for us to hear today. The, The Holy Spirit knew what he was doing when he inspired all this and intended on putting this in front of every believer's eyes. So we've just been reminded about salvation. What, but remember, again, verse 1 started this with a plea from Paul that others might come to know this same good news. And he reminds us what we already know. Then he makes it clear that anyone can make this good news their own. So he just reminded us salvation is free, costs us nothing. Jesus did the work. Trusting in him saves us, and it can save anyone. But then he says in verse 14, How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? Now, who are they? That's the people that have not yet believed. How shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? We'll talk about that word in a minute. How shall they preach unless they are sent as it is written? How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good news, of good things. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah said, Lord, who has believed our report? So then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So Paul makes an impassioned plea 
and reveals to us the true catalyst of winning people to Jesus, of leading people to Jesus, it's more than just information. It's more than just resuscitation. There is a persuasive power in our own personal stories. You, you see, we've internalized the first part of this chapter as followers of Jesus. We've seen his righteousness come to life in us, applied to us. We've all witnessed and experienced his grace and mercy. We've been transformed inside out. And the Bible calls on us to go and preach the good news. Now, the word preacher there is not an office. It's not a church position. The word preach there is from a Greek word, karoso, uh, which literally means to herald joyfully. To herald joyfully. So the idea here is that we are doing more than just reporting facts. We are sharing from our core what we've experienced, what we've experienced and what we've come to know through our association with and transformation through him. Does that make sense? That we are called to be a herald of this good news, how we have personally been impacted. Now, let me be clear. At the core of evangelism, of sharing the good news, is by all means stating the facts, repeating the biblical accounts. But, that's, but if that's all there was to it, then God would not emphasize the importance of every individual witnessing and sharing their testimony. If all that was required needed to effectively impact people's hearts with the gospel with static clinical information, then God would roll up his sleeves and send everyone a letter in the mail. But there's more to it. God knows what we God, God knows what we know. God knows that oftentimes facts and bullet points of information often just bounce right off our heads. God knows to get through to us, it's going to take more. We can give people the facts and people are still going to roll their eyes and dismiss us. We can show people the church's trajectory through history. We can show people how Jesus is, is, is report, prophesied and what he's done. But ultimately, there's not always going to be, that's not always going to be enough to convince people. Thankfully, there is still an ace up our sleeves. The choice way in which God desires to make himself known through our personal testimonies of how Jesus has changed our lives. God has called on us to share our own raw, unfiltered, checkered stories. Because sometimes, whether it should be the way or not, facts and truth and data and documentation are not going to be enough to knock down the barriers that people put up. Sometimes opposing emotions and hardened emotions will only relent when confronted by enthusiastic, authentic, heartfelt emotions. Sometimes the only thing that's going to get through to someone is someone just like them. By all means, God wants us to build our faith on the objective truth of his word, yet it often takes people heartfelt, with heartfelt expressions to get through to someone who has put that barrier up. Most people reject Christianity not, not because, uh, most people reject Christianity no matter how much we bombard them with truth. And that's where your stories come in. Think of it this way, the Old Testament is God's word. God spoke from heaven and gave truth after truth, revelation after revelation, facts upon facts. But for some reason, people were unmoved, confused even. But then he sent someone into the world with skin like everyone else, with emotion and empathy, and that's what changed the world. And his MO, his mode of operation was to call on real people to share their real stories about how Jesus changed their life, how Jesus has changed your life. So here's what I want to do for the remainder part of our time. I want to turn to a story in the gospel where Jesus stepped into a man's life 
and left him completely changed from the inside and on the outside. So much that this man was compelled to share his story to anyone who could listen. A lot of people poked holes in this guy's stories. A lot of people said this can't be true. Yet this guy knew it was true because it happened to him. I think in his story, we see our own stories and begin to see our stories in a different light. And hopefully come under inspiration that we indeed have a story to tell. And if you're someone who's still on the edge of believing all this for yourself, I think this story will especially resonate with you. So flip over to John chapter 9, if you will. John 9 verses 1 through 3, the story, the Bible says, Now as Jesus passed by, he saw a man who was blind from birth. His disciples asked him, saying, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, Neither this man nor his parents sinned, but that the works of God may be revealed in him, or that God may be glorified in him. The takeaway from this story off the very top should be, as broken as our lives may be, let's go to the next as broken as our lives may be, as imperfect as our stories may seem, God desires to make an impact in our lives and can use them to further his glory. Think about this. God does not need any one of us or owe anyone more proof of his power. He doesn't need us to testify of his power. He doesn't owe anybody an explanation. He's, he is interested in, in though, leveraging our lives to prove people that he's real. God's heart beats to see eyes opened that have denied him and, and turned away from him. He chooses to use people like us. But the verse require, but for him to use us, it requires that we are open to a savior like him. I don't know what your life looks like from your perspective. Maybe it's where you want it to be. Maybe you're trying to hold things together and not be exposed. Uh, maybe it's just obvious that things are not going well. But here's what this text invites us to do. To own your story, And welcome God's glory into it. You are who you are, for better or for worse. You are who you are. There's no going back to change yesterday. You can change things for tomorrow. You can pump the brakes and maybe not make some decisions you're about to make if you know those are wrong. But here's what we know. God has met you right where you are. He is saying to you, you, you are my chosen vessel Your story is one that God wants to leverage and use for his glory. Of course, you have a story to tell. And to tell that story, you've got to welcome God's glory into your life. Now, let me explain this. You've got to admit that your glory is fading. Living for your fame, living by your rules, doing it your way, stubbornly repeating the same things or arrogantly doubling down on your ideas that that either hasn't gotten you anywhere or it's not going to get you anywhere. We need to lower our flags and raise his flag. It's like John the Baptist said, he must increase. But in order for that to happen, I've got to decrease. Jesus told us to pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. As in not my kingdom, not my will, but yours be done. For the blind man, it was going to be a matter of trusting that Jesus was greater than his circumstance and his brokenness. An exchange of trust, a transfer of trust that would not be easy, and it never is. And I'm, I'm thankful for this extreme example because if this man could find the nerve to do it, I think all of us can. 
If this man, against all the odds and against all the physical and mental obstacles that he had to wrestle with, if he found a way to put faith in God, I think all of us can. Thankfully, Jesus does not wait for him to completely comply. Jesus takes control of the situation and then passes him the ball. Look at verse four. I must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. The night is coming when no one can work. As long as I'm in the world, I'm the light of the world. So Jesus says, hey, I've got to do some, I've got to shine my light to make a difference in people's lives. And I'm going to show you what I'm going to do with this guy. Verse six, when he said these things, he spat on the ground, made clay with his saliva, and he anointed the eyes of the blind man with the clay. So if anybody ever says, I don't know if I trust the Bible is inspired, show them that verse because you would not make that up. If you're trying to fool the world on a religion, you wouldn't make up a verse where somebody spits on the ground, makes some mud in his hands, and then puts it on somebody's face. That's not made up. That's written down because it actually happened. So Jesus takes, spits on the ground, makes a mess in his hands, puts it on this guy's eyes, and he said to them, go and wash in the pool of Siloam. He says, hey buddy, he, I imagine he's down on the ground, he's huddled up against him, he's put his arm around him, and he said, listen, I know you don't know who I am. I know you've never seen me before. But I've put some stuff on your eyes and I need you to go in that direction. And then I think Jesus probably thought, I guess he doesn't know what direction to go in. So I'm gonna lead you in the right direction. I'm gonna take you to the precipice of this pond, of this fountain. I want you to stick your head in the water and I gotta get out of Dodge because when, ha- when you wake up, when you step up and you're seeing, people are gonna come for me. I know you don't understand that yet, but you will soon. So when people see you walking around and they see that you can see, they're gonna start coming for me because they're gonna know I've been doing some miracles because I've kind of got a reputation around here. They don't like me in the Jewish religion. So I gotta get out of Dodge, but I promise you, buddy, stick your head in the water. When you come up, you'll see for the first time. <laughs> So that's what happens. Verse 7 says, he, so he went and washed and came back seen. So Jesus does the hard part, does the first part, and he leaves the ball in his court. But what would this man do? Well, it says he went and washed and gained his sight. And I know this is practically as in it just doesn't make sense. It's not practical. It doesn't, there's not an A to B to C. There's not an equation that you can put together and get this. It's practically unbelievable. But if you ask the blind man, personally, he had an undeniable experience with God. On paper, it should not have worked. But personally, it was undeniable. Do do you see the tension there though? The man had something happen to him that could not be explained and was not believable. But the man stood there for the first time and could see with his own eyes. Now, let's talk about the the man and, and what he had to do, what he had to go through to make this decision. He trusted in the one who did, who changed everything. Instead of trying to understand it, He surrendered his trying to trusting. Now, here's what I know. You flip a light switch in your home, and unless you're an electrician, you don't know what is going on. You know that some wire is connected to this and that, and there's sparks going through it, and it lights up. I get it. You crank your car, and unless you're a mechanic, you don't know all the machinations of what's going on in your car. 
You connect your phone and your laptop and your computer and your television to Wi-Fi, and you don't know how that's bringing information and bringing data and bringing television to your, to, to, bringing streaming to your television, but you just do it. And if you sit there and tried to figure it out, you would spend so much time not experiencing something that is available to you. So the blind man, instead of trying to figure out how this is going to work, he surrendered to trust him. The blind man didn't wait to figure out what Jesus was up to. He trusted that he would catch up eventually. There are plenty of people who had a difficult time understanding this. Let's read on. Therefore, the neighbors and those who previously had seen that he was blind said, this is, not, is, this, is not this he who sat and begged? Some said, this is he. Others said, he is like him. And he said, I am he. I mean, they're all talking about this guy like, you know, he's just sitting there without a voice to say. And he says, guys, I am the blind man. I'm not blind anymore. Wish, wish we would have got his name. Therefore, they said to him, how are your eyes open? And he answered and said, a man called Jesus, I've never heard of him before, maybe you have, a man called Jesus put clay and anointed my eyes and said to me, go to the pool of Siloam and wash. So I went and I washed and I received my sight. And they said, where is he? And he said, I don't know. I did not see him. Because he was blind, right? But notice they're all trying to poke holes in his story. We don't, this isn't explainable. This isn't, doesn't make sense. They brought him, who was formerly blind, to the Pharisees. Because the Pharisees are the, are the council that's going to determine whether this is credible or not. They're going to hold this up to the Old Testament and say, is this really possible? Now, it was the Sabbath when Jesus made the clay and opened his eyes, which, of course, the Sabbath meant you couldn't work, and they thought this and the, the Pharisees were very paranoid of working and they decided that this was work even though it wasn't. But hey, they're not really trying to do themselves any favors. The Pharisees asked him again, who had received his sight. He said to them, he put clay on my eyes, I wash and I see. He, he condensed his story because he had already told them. Therefore, some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God. He does not, he does not keep the Sabbath. Others said, how can a man who is a sinner do such signs? And there was division among them. And they said to the blind man, what do you say about him because he opened your eyes? And the blind man, I think he kind of shrugs. He's a prophet? I don't know. I just know he put mud on my eyes. He dunked my head in the water. And now I see. Can we not celebrate the moment for a minute? I can see. Verse 18 says the Jews did not believe concerning him and he had, that he had been blind and received his sight until they called his parents. Is this your son? Who's asking? Because they could get in trouble if they answered wrongly. Yeah, he's my son. Was he blind? Yeah. Can he see? I guess he can see. Hey, what color? My, you know, they went through the process. The guy could see. Now, these religious leaders had a God box. God had to operate how they thought he was going to operate. They were so confounded by their restrictions. No one can figure out who or what Jesus was. Even the blind man didn't really know. But here's what he knew. He had put faith in Jesus. And that made all the difference. But here's what I really think is the, the, the more powerful part of this story. God cares so much about impacting your life. He does not paywall his goodness behind knowledge. You know what that means? That means that God did not wait for the blind man to understand everything. I mean, what, what if, what if before you flip the lights on that some, you know, something popped up on you know, your phone and said, 
can you please explain how electricity works so I can give you permission to turn on the lights? I mean, that would be annoying, right? That'd be kind of, I don't want to go through it. That's, that'd be a pain in the neck. But what if that happened? What if before you connected to the Wi-Fi, you had to answer a questionnaire? How does Wi-Fi work? What is the internet? I mean, God does not paywall his goodness. God does not say, hey, I can't do this for you unless you can tell me what Gen- Genesis chapter 50 verse 20 says. Hey, explain to me the seven-day creation. Explain to me how they crossed the Red Sea. Explain to me why this happens and why that happens. God does not do that. Aren't you glad? God does not paywall his goodness behind you knowing or understanding. Hey, how does it work? What happens when you die? God does not make us know those things. He's too good. The religious leaders... If unless you were like them, they did not like you and did not accept you. So they argue with this man back and forth. They literally threaten his parents that if you claim this man was healed by Jesus, we'll kick you out of the synagogue. We'll kick you out of fellowship. And of course, they end up kicking the man out of fellowship. Unless you were like them, you weren't even allowed to worship with them. They discredited Jesus for being someone who wasn't good enough. But listen, here's the good news. Jesus is never worried about guilt by association. He was confident enough in himself and what he had to offer. I can't explain everything. I love being able to explain. Uh, I love being able to, to explain things. Uh, but Jesus, Jesus did not require that. And, and Jesus did not require this man meet his expectations before he healed him. If you ever think, well, Jesus wouldn't want anything to do with me or have, uh, have anything to do with me, this story suggests otherwise. Jesus had a reputation of befriending people that were not perfect because he was on a mission to open people's eyes to God, to open people up to what God wanted to do in their lives, to show people the disconnect in our lives and show us that we're not disqualified from a relationship, but we are in the prime position to know God. Finally, they give the man one last chance down in verse 24. They again called the man who was blind and they said to him, give glory to God. We know that this man, Jesus, is a sinner. He can't be your healer. And he answered and said, whether he is a sinner or not, I do not know. One thing I know. Do you think this blind man knew that he was about to say one of the most powerful prophetic statements in all the Bible? You know what he was doing? He was just sharing his testimony. He was just telling his story. You do not know the power in sharing what God has done in your life. One of the most memorable, celebrated, quoted verses in the entire Bible is said by a man, we don't even know his name. I guarantee you he never thought, hey, one day... I'm going to be in the Bible and my quote is going to be said all around the world. One day people are going to sing a song called Amazing Grace and my quote is going to be the backbone for that song. I guarantee you he never thought that would happen. He wasn't worried about that though. He just wanted to tell his story. One thing I know, Though I was blind, now I see. Once I was blind, but now I see. How do you know? Because it happened to me. Simple enough, right? 
Is that unbelievable? Yes. But is it undeniable? Double yes. See how this works? Verse 26. Then they said to him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? I already told you. And you did not listen. You know what they do in that statement? They admit that a miracle took place. They're trying so hard to discredit it. But even in their efforts to discredit it, it's undeniable, isn't it? It's like when you watch a sport, watching sports and the broadcaster says, unbelievable, as a football is through yards after yards after yards and someone catches it at the last minute and crosses into the, the score, a, a, a touchdown. It's like when a basketball uh, is shot midcourt and it goes right into the basket as the buzzer rings. The broadcaster says, unbelievable, even though it actually happened. And you can rewind it. And every time you rewind the play, guess what? It happens again and again and again. It's unbelievable, yeah. But it's undeniable. There are a lot of things in your life that you're going to have a hard time piecing together. There are some things you may never see come together. There are people who ask me, uh, there, there's, a, there's a people that ask me, you know, Justin, do, do you have, do you doubt? You know, you're supposed to have it all figured out. Do you doubt? All the time. All the time. My doubts persist and they increase when I let what's unexplainable overwhelm what's undeniable. Listen, I love explaining things. I want to be able to uh, explain everything and tell you how it works. But there is, but that is where I learned to rest in the good news that I am a creature and there is a creator. And where my limits are exposed, God's potential is activated and highlighted. And when God begins to work in higher and ways, ways beyond my, my imagination, the unexplainable is often multiplied, but so is the undeniable. There's so much I can't explain. But here's what I know. And here's what's undeniable. Jesus showed up 2,000 years ago making outlandish claims about himself that should have gotten him locked up, that should have gotten him, made him a laughing stock in history books. He showed up and said, I'm the bread of life. I'm the light of the world. I'm the vine. I, 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 am, I am the door. I am the good shepherd. He said things that crazy people say. He said, I'm the only one that can talk to God. And I talk to God and I'm gonna tell you what God says. He, says, he, he said things that people should have said, you are insane, and they did. But he said something else. I'm gonna die for crimes I didn't commit. I've got all the power in the universe. I'm going to lay that power down and I'm going to be crucified on a Roman cross. I'm going to die so that others might live. Who says that? Who would do that? I can raise the dead, but I am going to give my life up. But three days later, I will rise from the grave and you will be able to see where I laid and I am going to make an impact in my resurrection that is going to change the world. Thousands of eyewitnesses followed him, unfollowed him, refollowed him and then when they saw him raised again, they went and told the world they gave their lives up and 2,000 years later, there are 2 billion people on the hills of billions and billions and billions that went before us that worship the carpenter, that worship the Nazarene named Jesus. 
And I know when I surrendered to him at seven years old, every day since then, his power and his presence has been as real to me as, as, as anything I could ever experience. And there are two billion people on earth that have a similar testimony as I do. Because we all, because we all agreed to share the same one? No. But because everybody that's ever put their faith in Jesus, as different as they are, as unique as their stories are, everybody that's ever met Jesus has a similar story. Once we were blind, but now we see. You see, this is why I believe. This is why I don't give up when it seems like an easy and desirable choice. Because what if? What if our circumstances are just another platform on which God can display his glory for even more to see and know? When things happen to me and things happen around me that I cannot explain, I don't give up. I don't allow doubt to overwhelm me because I know too much about how God works. And when it's unexplainable, when it's unbelievable, when it's, when it's overwhelming, God is up to something undeniable. What if what we're going through, what if where we're at, what if who we are is an opportunity for God's glory to be made known? I want to make it clear. Don't be ashamed to express your doubt, but don't be afraid to trust either. It's okay to have doubts, but listen, don't be afraid to put your faith in a God who has the track record that billions of people can point to and testify about. You know, doubt is your nature's way of clinging to control. Doubt is your mind afraid of losing control. Anytime you doubt, this is what's going on. This is the devil, this is your mind, this is your flesh afraid of losing control. Trust is transferring your control out of your hands into God's. We cannot allow fear to keep us from transferring control. We must not, we may not see how it all comes together, but maybe that's the point. Maybe that's when we experience the most defining moment of them all. When we confess like the blind man, once I was blind, but now I see. Down in verse 27, he says, I told you already, you did not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples certainly they did but they couldn't admit it this man's an example of who we all can be experiencing the power of God learning to share what we've seen with our own eyes first we have to let God work in our lives and what he does and when he does I promise you he can he will suddenly you'll have a story to tell when I I went through a leg injury for most of my teenage years and then I retained the strength to walk after years I knew I had a story to tell But eventually I realized that my story was just a chapter in a much greater story. And that's why I'm here. But every day I thank God for my story. And I think all of us should thank God for our stories because our stories reflect his glory in a unique, undeniable way. So the question for you today is, I know we we, we could go out and tell the world about the church and about Jesus and about all this stuff that's biblical and true and true and true. And I can tell you how true it is if you had all day. But maybe the one thing that's missing in our world today is real people telling real stories about how a real God has changed their life. 
And maybe all the data and all the facts and all the verses will come later, but maybe what needs to start first is you looking in the mirror and thinking, have I owned my story? Have I welcomed God's glory into my life? Is, am I allowing God to work in my life in such an undeniable way that I am a living testament to the people around me? All of you have a story to tell. Every one of you has a story to tell. Everybody has seen God work in their lives. And that's the story that needs to be told. And that's the story the person you work beside, the person that you see every day, the person you live beside, that's the story your family member needs to hear. Because your story, your story is a personal witness to what God can do once you were blind. But now you can see. That's the starting point. That's the difference maker. Take it from me. Take it from the blind man whose eyes were opened. How will the world hear? They won't hear unless we do not share. And I promise you, we all have a story to tell. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for helping my voice out today. Uh, Thank you for getting the message out to your people from your word. Thank you for uh, using this church as a platform to glorify your name and your word and your spirit that he can do his job. Father, if there's anybody in the room today that they're like the blind man, they've got a lot of questions and they're not really sure they've got it all figured out, but maybe today's the day that they lay down those questions, they lay down those concerns and they just trust you because they want to understand, they want to figure it all out, but maybe what they need more than anything is just to let you have control. Father, I pray that we could surrender our efforts to trust in you. I pray you might would make yourself known in an undeniable way, and as unbelievable as it may be, it will be undeniable to us and to all around us. God, would you help all of us see how you could be involved in our stories, how our stories can tell the world a story that they need to hear. Lord, help us all see that you want to work in our lives and that there's none of us that you've turned away from. There's none of us that you say, I can't make a difference. And there's nobody here that you don't love and that you don't have a plan for. And if you can make a difference in a man's life that had no idea what was going on, what might you can do with us if we just trust you, surrender to you? Lord, we own our stories. We open them up to your glory. We pray you could use our lives to tell the world of a greater story of how Jesus Christ can open the eyes of the blind. And let us all tell the world, once we were blind, but now we see. From the inside out, we have been made new. And so can you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.